want to direct your attention to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. We're continuing in this section where Jesus has been doing signs. Specifically, in this chapter, he healed a man who had been lame for 38 years. Jesus says to him, take up your mat and go. Now, wouldn't you know it, the one thing that gets him uh, in trouble or gains attention is not that he's walking after 38 years, but that he's carrying his mat on a Sabbath. <gasps> the Pharisees are upset over this. He's breaking the law. They find out eventually that it was Jesus who told him to break the law. So now they're engaging this conversation with Jesus where Jesus utters the words, you'll see them in verse 17, My father is working until now and so am I. I'm working too. Now, if they had been a little irritated at Jesus before, now they wanted to kill him. Because that was blasphemy. Jesus was saying that he was God. Therefore, he had the authority to tell people to work on the Sabbath. Now, what we're about to read is a continuing explanation of what that means. Of what it means when Jesus says that God is working, His Father is working, and so He is also. So, really, verses 19 through 29 continue this, but we're going to divide it into two parts. So, Follow with me as I read verses 19 through 24. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. Greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth and the songs that we just finished singing. Christ is our solid rock. He is our refuge. And upon Him we stand. So Lord, we take great confidence in knowing that although this world will one day be washed away, be destroyed, Christ will stand. And Lord, what is in Him and of Him will last into eternity. So Father, I pray this morning that Your Spirit will give us ears to hear. And Father, even beyond that, I pray that You would renew a sense of awe in our hearts about who Jesus is. Grant this, Father, I pray, through Christ our Lord. And the church said, Amen. Young mother had just finished laying her child down for bed in the crib and had gone to get ready for bed. When she came to get ready to lie down, she noticed her husband wasn't there. So 
Wondering where he was, she peeked out into the hallway and saw him standing in the doorway of the nursery. And she got a little closer to him. She could see that his face was this sense of, of awe. He was smiling and kind of a glow and just uh, kind of shaking his head like that. She was moved at the sight of this young father looking into the, the nursery at the baby, the first child, sleeping gently in the crib and Wanting to share in that moment, she walks up next to her husband and kind of leans against him and says, it's amazing, isn't it? He goes, yes, it is. Who would have thought you could have got a crib like that for $99.99? <laughs> yeah, what do you do after that? You know, we all have the things that grab our hearts and give us a sense of awe. Maybe different things for different people, but the truth is... Each and every one of us were created to have a sense of amazement. Things that make us stop for a moment and pause. Things that make us realize there's more to this world than what we see. The problem is, is that we often forget that. We take things that are amazing for granted. Take, for example, this that most of us have usually handy, the simple smartphone. Simple smartphone. Isn't that a contradiction in terms According to what I read, this phone and the one that you have that's probably like it has 120 million more com times computing power than the computers that put a man on the moon. It's 120 million times faster. And those computers were engaged, yeah, engaged in a, a room. You have it in your pocket. Or let's take something that, that should cause us to be amazed, but quite frankly, we're kind of sick of it, and that's rain. The rain that's falling. I think I hear it even now. I don't know if I should have made this slide larger, but if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water. That's one inch of water on a square mile of farmland. That would equiv be equivalent of 206,300,160 gallons of water. That's one inch of water over a square mile, which would weigh 1,650,501,280 pounds. One inch of rain over a square mile weighs 1.6 billion pounds. Where did that rain come from? A cloud. So you mean to tell me that why that dark cloud that's floating in the sky is carrying 1.6 billion pounds of water? Yes. How did it get there? Through a thing called condensation, where this water ceases to be water and attaches to a dust particle that is able to float upward and then become embedded in the cloud. And then how does it get from the cloud down to the water? Well, that's a whole other whole story, but it's amazing, isn't it? 1.6 billion pounds of water in a cloud. Were you amazed at that over the weekend? Or are we just saying, Lord, when's it going to stop? Sociologist by the name of Max Weber in 1920 called what happens to us called the routinization of charisma. What his point was is that in religion, things that cause us to be amazed become routine. And after a while, cease to amaze us. 
we lose wonder at who God is. It becomes routine. And that which once gave us passion becomes humdrum to us. And that's dangerous. One of the worst things in the world that can happen today is for people to feel bored. Isn't that horrible? How many times on a rainy Saturday, maybe even yesterday in the afternoon, did you hear someone say, I'm bored. And it's not the kids, it's your husband. I'm bored. What do you want to do? Let's do something. Let's play a game. No, I don't want to play a game. Well, let's watch a movie. No, I don't want to watch a movie. Well, let's paint a room. No, I don't want to paint a room. What do you want to do? I don't know, but I'm bored. It's horrible. You see, when we become bored, there's a self-centeredness that sets in where we say, I need something that will entertain me, something that will excite me. And we cease to look outwardly because we're looking inwardly. Well, the one thing, the one, and it's not a thing, it's a person that will satisfy our longing for worship, our longing for amazement into eternity is none other than Jesus Christ himself, the Lord God. The need for wonder that we have been created with can only be fulfilled by something out of this world that we can never exhaust, and that is Jesus. The Gospel of John is written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing in Him, have life. So John continually brings us back to this theme of believing in Jesus and worshiping Him. You'll see this emphasized in this passage here. You'll see the point of it. Look at verse 20. Father loves the Son, shows Him all that He is doing, and greater works than these will He show Him. Now here's the reason God's going to show Jesus' works, and Jesus is going to work these works. The reason is, so that you may marvel. So that you and I, as we read what Jesus does, we will stop for a moment and let it sink in that this man Jesus who walked the earth turned water into wine. That this man Jesus spoke a word and this one who was lame walked. That this man Jesus did things that are far beyond the ordinary because he was more than just a man. That's why we keep coming back to who Jesus is. So following this text, we're going to accomplish, Lord willing, two things this morning. We're going to take a step back and be reminded of who Jesus is. That's the first thing. The second thing is we're going to deal with, so what? What do we do because of who Jesus is? Let's dive into answering that question. We are to marvel at who he is. So who is he? Well, the first thing we see very clearly is that this man Jesus is more than just a man. He is God. Notice where he starts, verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you. That truly, truly is a way of emphasizing. The Greek is literally, amen, amen. So be it. Listen. Draw your attention. This is like the teacher in front of class saying, class, class, listen up. So Jesus says, pay attention to this. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Now that word Son, don't trip over that, nor read it too quickly. Many other faiths trip over that and they think, well, you see, that shows that Jesus has, has never, has not been in existence for eternity. The fact that the Son is used to describe Him, they say, is a way of pointing out that there was a time when Jesus did not exist, that somehow Jesus issued from the Father. Well, that's not accurate. We know that Jesus, according to John 1, 1, was in the beginning with God and was God. In the beginning was He with God. God. So son is not just referring to some biological reproduction. 
Son is a way of describing relationship, intimacy. And even beyond that, it's pointing us to an important fact about Jesus. In the scripture, when son is attached to a descriptive word, that word is an adjective describing the essence of someone. Let me give you two examples. John and James were disciples of Jesus. They had a nickname, Sons of Thunder. I thought that was thunder for a moment. They had that nickname because apparently they were quick-tempered. Fly off the handle. Fly into a rage, so they are called sons of thunder. They would rumble quickly and be quick. That's a way of describing one of their prime characteristics. Second example, a man in the book of Acts by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas was known as a son of encouragement. Barnabas was a guy you'd want to be around. He was encouraging. You can do it. Don't stop. Keep pressing on. That is a son of encouragement. It's a way of describing his primary characteristics. So if Jesus is called the Son of God, it's a way of saying that Jesus' prime characteristic is this. He is God. Don't let the radicalness of that be lost. Now, you and I, when we are saved, believer, we become a child of God. We are to show characteristics of who God is. But we fall short because we are not God. One of the popular items of clothing, and it's been like this for some time, is to purchase a jersey of your favorite athlete, whether it be a hockey player, football, or basketball. Now, way back when, my favorite basketball team was the Los Angeles Lakers. So I was very, very excited on one of my birthdays when I received a Magic Johnson practice jersey. I would wear that. Now, some of you don't remember who Magic Johnson is. I've never heard of him. He was a prototype. 6'9 point guard, brought the ball up the court, did a no-look pass, really with ease. And I liked watching him play. So I would go out, I'd put on my Magic Johnson jersey, and I'd go and play. I'd go to the YMCA, I'd go out to the court in the basket, the basketball court in the neighborhood, and I would play. And I played just like Magic Johnson because I had his jersey on. I mean, you, you would have thought we were twins. No look pass, the junior, junior skyhook, which, by the way, is from the 1980 finals when he had to fill in for an injured Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Now, don't ask me why I remember that. No, it's crazy to think just because I wear the jersey, I'm going to play like him. I'm not him. Now, I can try to imitate him. I can do my best, but I'm not him. In some ways, that's how we are in this walk. We strive because of the power of the Holy Spirit to be like God, to be like Jesus, but we are not a son of God in the same unique way that Jesus is. Look up on the screen. You'll see Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. You and I are adopted as children of God. Jesus is, by nature, God Himself. He's not just assuming a role to act like God. He, be, he is God Himself from the very beginning. Now think about the ramifications of that, where He says in verse 19, whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. If you wonder what God is like, read the Gospels. When Jesus turns water into wine, that's God turning water into wine. When Jesus heals a man, that is God healing a man. When Jesus goes into the home of a tax collector, it is God going into that house. When Jesus eats with sinners, that's God pulling up a chair. 
And when Jesus confronts the Pharisees with their pride, that's God confronting them. And Jesus says that God does this, the Father does it, because He loves the Son. He's not revealing himself because Jesus needs correction or he's afraid that Jesus is going to take his place. He does it out of love. That's the nature of this relationship. Because the Father loves the Son, he shows him and he's going to do even greater works. Verse 20. What are those greater works? Look at verse 21. As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Greater work is the resurrection of the dead. This takes place on two levels, and John points out both of them. First, he says this, it is a physical resurrection. John chapter 11 is the fulcrum upon which this gospel balances. The resurrection of Lazarus became the sign that Jesus did to show he was the Messiah. We'll get into that and spend some time talking about that. Only God can raise the dead. But it's also operating at a deeper level spiritually. Because we are dead in our sins. And it is only God that can give us life through Jesus. We are corpses that are in rebellion against God. And just as Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it is the Spirit that brings about this new birth of the kingdom. That's why we shouldn't be surprised at the end of verse 21 when Jesus says, The Son gives life to whom He will. In John 1, we are told that Jesus gives the right to become children of God, that we are not born again because of the will of flesh or the will of man. We're born because of the will of God. John 3, Jesus said a person can't receive anything unless it is given to him from heaven. That's why Jesus is the only one who can give new spiritual life. Apart from Christ, we cannot know life. In fact, that's why he makes the statement in verses 22 through 23 where he talks about honoring God. He says we cannot honor the Father if we do not honor the Son. We must honor Him because Jesus is the judge. If we marvel at Him because He does the works of God, now we must honor Him also because Jesus is the criteria of judgment. He's the one rendering judgment. He stands as the dividing line between righteousness and unrighteousness. Apart from faith in Christ, we cannot be saved. That's why he says that if we desire eternal life, we must believe in Him who sent Him. We must believe in Christ. So who is Jesus? We see that He is God. as demonstrated by the fact that He does the things the Father does. And now we see that He is the judge. He is the dividing line. There's no other way to eternal life other than Jesus. He is the judge. So that's who He is. Now what do we do in light of this? What does it mean to marvel, to honor Him? First it means this. If we are to truly marvel at Jesus and honor Him, we must believe. That's the point of the gospel. Believe. These things are written that you may believe and have life. Now, when we hear the word believe, usually we think in terms of cognitive knowledge, remembering things. But believe in the scripture has a deeper meaning. Believe means to act upon what you know. 
It's not just mere facts. It's saying, what will you do based upon these facts? Years ago, Charles Colson wrote a book entitled Loving God. In that book, he gives examples of what this looks like, what loving God, what belief looks like. And he gives an example of a man by the name of Orv Kreger. Orv was a businessman living outside of Seattle, very successful. He owned a restaurant just outside of the Seattle airport, did very well. But Orv came to know Christ, professed faith in Jesus Christ, confessed publicly that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He was the only way of salvation. And then Orv did something that everybody thought was crazy. He closed the bar in his restaurant. They said he was crazy because that was the moneymaker for the restaurant. They said, Orv, you're going to lose over $10,000 a week in profit. Why would you do that? That's insane. And Orv's response was this. Beliefs aren't much if you're not willing to live by them. Beliefs aren't much if you're not willing to live by them. So to believe means to live as a follower of Christ. Which means the second thing. We believe, and that belief translates in striving to live as Jesus lived. Now, I'm not talking about adopting wearing a robe and sandals everywhere you go. Talking about the characteristics of Jesus. Following Him. Allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life so that you act in accord with how Jesus would act. One of the questions that should have been ruminating in your mind as we read this passage is this. If Jesus is God, why does God have to show Him what to do? Wouldn't He know intuitively? If Jesus is God, then why is God showing Him? Jesus should know. Well, part of the answer to that is the mystery of the Trinity. We just have to say, Lord, I don't understand it, but it is. But I also think this. Jesus is giving you and I a model of what it means to be a disciple. We look for where God's working and we seek to imitate Him. We seek to join Him. He's showing us that we don't lean onto our own understanding, but we acknowledge Him and look to see where He is at work. Because we will begin to imitate that which we hold in awe. We'll begin to imitate and to follow that which we hold up and which we see and which we take in. As I was reminiscing on days going by and on a rainy Saturday, my mind went back to my childhood. And many of you may remember this also. If you don't, you can look it up on YouTube. Television was filled on ABC with the wide world of sports. Some of you are thinking it even now. The thrill of victory and the agony of, oh yeah, poor guy on the ski jump. How would you like for that to be your lasting memory, a wipeout? In the 70s, wide world of sports was enamored, as most of America was, with a stuntman by the name of Evil Knievel. Evil was a daredevil. He'd be on his motorcycle and he would jump things. Fountains at Caesar Palace, buses, helicopters, even tried to jump the Grand, not the Grand Canyon, but the Snake River in a sky cycle. Well, my friends and I became enamored with Evil Knievel. We had our bicycles, we had wood, cinder blocks, and time. A dangerous combination. So we would build ramps, and we would jump, and we would try to imitate Evil Knievel, even make little capes, because Evil always wore a cape. 
But I remember one day this friend of mine said, he goes, Herod, I've got an idea. We need to take this up a notch. I said, okay, what you thinking? He said, I've built this ramp, and it's at the right angle. I can get enough lift to jump over you and Peanut. All I need is for you and Peanut was my best friend to lay down, and I will jump you. I said, that ain't going to happen. You know, I, I may have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. I am not letting you jump over me in a bicycle. But you get what was going on? He wanted to imitate. That's what he was seeing, what he was fascinated with. When we are fascinated and amazed at Jesus, we will seek to imitate him. Now, we may not be able to do the things that Jesus did, turning water into wine or making the lame to walk. God does those things. I still believe that. But you know where we can imitate him is this. Being compassionate. Heeding what Paul wrote to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. We can love. Be people of truth. We can seek to be filled with the Spirit so that we are walking in gentleness and kindness. All the things that Jesus demonstrates as He lives. For if we are to honor Him, it's more than just a church service. It's how we live. So, how do we honor Him? Well, we believe. We imitate, and finally, we share the gospel. I draw your attention back to the words of Jesus in verse 21. As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. How can we imitate Jesus in giving life? You know, may not be able to raise the dead. But if this is operating on a level more than just the physical, it's operating on a spiritual level, it means that you and I can honor Jesus by sharing the gospel. Because that's the way to life. Unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. We can be a people marked by a passion for sharing the gospel. That seek every opportunity to bring people from death into life. A few weeks ago, I watched a documentary entitled Heroin. It ended with an E. The title did an E in parentheses. So it not only was a reference to the opioid drug that's running rampant in America, but this documentary focused on three women who were seeking to make a difference. The documentary chronicled what's taking place in Huntington, West Virginia. Huntington is a little smaller than Johnson City, about 47,000 people, in a county of 96,000. It's also known as the overdose capital of the United States. More people overdose in Huntington per population than anywhere else in the nation. And this tells the story of three women that are working to make a difference. One is a judge who oversees drug court. As you watched her days unfold, she was tough yet compassionate, pointing them in the right direction, really laying down the law to them. The other was a realtor member of a Baptist congregation who is part of what's called the brown bag ministry where every Wednesday night she would go out with brown bag lunches to give to the women who were working in the night to minister to them and it chronicled the relationships that she has made in helping them to come to see the gospel and to get out of that lifestyle but the main focus of the documentary was a lady by the name of Jan Rader. She's now the chief of the fire department in Huntington. At that time, she was an assistant. 
And her passion in life was to be a, a first responder who would come on the scene where there was an overdose with the drug Narcon. The drug Narcon is something that's used to wake a person out of an overdose. She's taken a lot of flack for it. Some people would argue that that drug is simply enabling a person to continue their drug abuse because they think, well, if I, over, if I OD, someone's there to save me. And so she would answer the critics of that, and her answer struck me. I quote from Jan Rader, she said, If I save someone 50 times, then that is 50 chances to get them into treatment and change. Death is final. Death is final. And we may agree or disagree with the use of that drug, but her words are true. Death is final. And you and I, congregation, have a chance to bring life in the gospel. And as we give life through the sharing of the gospel, we are honoring Jesus. Because that's the work of the Father. How are we doing with that work? Does our belief translate into life? Are we seeking to imitate Him at every step of the way? Are we sharing the gospel? If we're truly amazed at Jesus, we'll be doing all three of those. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you would.